0: with a poem written by a Buddhist nun a couple of thousand years ago. It's called Metta. If you develop love, truly great, rid of the desire to hold and possess, that strong, clear love, untainted by lust, That love which does not expect to be repaid. That love which is firm, but not grasping. Enduring, but not tied down. Gentle and settled. Diamond hard, but not hurting. Helpful, but not interfering. Cool and refreshing giving more than taking, dignified but not proud, soft but not weak, that love which leads to enlightenment, then you'll be washed of all ill will. And this is from Krishnamurti's meditation journal. When the heart enters into the mind, the mind has quite a different quality. It is really then limitless. It's a sense of living in a vast space where you are part of everything. Meditation is the movement of love. It isn't the love of the one or of the many. It's like water that anyone can drink out of any jar, whether golden or earthenware. It's inexhaustible. It's as though the mind enters into itself, beginning at the surface and penetrating ever more deeply until depth and height have lost their meaning, and every form of measurement ceases. In this state, there's complete peace, not the contentment that has come through gratification, but a peace that has order, beauty, and intensity. It can all be destroyed, as you can destroy a flower. And yet, because of its very vulnerability, it's indestructible. I found it um, interesting and inspiring some years ago when I found out that the Chinese written character for love was um, derived from two ancient pictographs two ancient pictographic symbols the top symbol was a very, very simple one and it was uh, representative of a person breathing. A Chinese pictograph of, of a person breathing. And the bottom um, symbol was a symbol for the heart. So the two together were breath through the heart, which doesn't look like that so much anymore in the Chinese writing. But that's the origin of the written word for love, in Chinese, breath through the heart, or breathing through the heart. When we practice metta, we're practicing opening, we're practicing the expansion, uh, expanding the capacity of our being, the capacity of our heart, opening and expanding like what happens when the breath moves through us moves in and through and out of the body and we really can develop a love that's truly great as the Buddhist nun said 2,000 years ago a love that's not limited a love that's not a finite thing but infinite and spacious and as maybe everyone in this room knows in just a moment of this just even a second of experiencing this it is completely refreshing it's enormously boundlessly refreshing in that moment or second we are washed of all ill will towards all beings, which includes ourself. One of the Buddhist symbols for unconditional love and also compassion is one moon shining in the sky while its image is reflected in a hundred bowls of water. The moon doesn't demand, if you open to me, I'll shine on you. It just simply shines, reflected in everything, a hundred bowls of water or a drop of water. There's also another symbol of unconditional love in the Mahayana tradition a figure whose name is Avalokiteshvara. And he's often pictured as he, she uh, is often pictured as uh, a figure having a thousand arms outstretched. And in the palm of the hand of each of these thousand arms is painted an eye. A thousand arms outstretched to help, and an eye to see the suffering in the world. A number of years ago, I um, sat with Thich Han for a few days uh, in a huge retreat, about 600 adults, I think, and 30 children. The children were having their own retreat. Um, separate from uh, from ours but each morning they would come in and do a show and tell for us letting us know what they'd been doing the day before one morning (coughs) they came in and all 30 of them stood in a line in front of us didn't say a word stood there and then they all held up their hands and in or their arms and in each hand of each arm was an eye painted (coughs) and then one little boy climbed up on the platform that Thich Khan was sitting on and painted an eye in Thich Nhat Hanh's hand. And then they walked out. It was a wonderful teaching, very inspiring. The Pali word, metta, as we've talked about, used many, many times, the root of it is really friendship. being a friend so it's about being a friend to ourself to ourself and to all beings to all that lives and we know that when we experience a true friendship with another being we experience a respect an honoring coming from us coming to us from our friend We feel a lot of goodwill coming towards us in true and close friendship. And when various aspects of aversion arise, and they do, as we all know, when they arise with a very deep true friendship, it's usually not very sticky. There's a lot of goodwill available. It's easily balanced fairly quickly in deep friendship. There's a lot of patience, a lot of kindness, easily accessible, even when difficulties do arise, when things are unpleasant. In being a friend to ourself, all of these same qualities are relevant extending kindness, extending patience to all of the arisings and passings, all the conditions of our body, our mind, our heart, even towards what we might think of as our imperfections, our faults, what we we view as our failings, things that we judge as bad, not good enough, things that seem unacceptable to us because of our conditioning, our bad moods, bad thoughts, bad feelings. The key, or I think one of the primary keys in our practice is patience. And I know it's, it's been mentioned, and I'd like to talk about it a little bit. Patience is really both the seed and the fruit of practice. It's really a key for the practice and development of all of the divine abidings, all of the Brahma-Viharas, loving-kindness, compassion sympathetic or appreciative joy and equanimity. And the Buddha spoke about patience quite often and in a number of different ways. One of the things he said was, there's no higher rule than patience, no nirvana, no freedom higher than forbearance, no greater thing exists than patience. That's quite a statement about patience. (laughs) And he went on to talk about some of the reasons for entering into the practice of loving-kindness, of metta. We enter into practice for lots of different reasons, but one of the things that happens is we find that it is a great protection. It protects the mind, the heart, from anger, from fear. It secludes, in a sense, cloisters, in a sense, our heart, mind, from these very difficult States not that we don't feel them not that we don't experience and see them more clearly in the process but there is a kind of protection and seclusion sometimes the word cloistering is used uh, in relationship to these (coughs) difficult states as we practice and our heart opens, our being opens, we begin to see with more clarity and more depth the inner and outer danger of dwelling in these states, these states of aversion. The practice of unconditional love, the practice of metta, is a very, very powerful way of introducing our being our heart-mind to patience. A way of cultivating patience, cultivating a loving, patient heart, and really coming to know in a very deep experiential way the advantage, the great enormous benefit in one's life of this cultivation, of this um, way of being. in speaking of using the word forbearance as the highest freedom um, I looked it up in the dictionary and uh, in some ways our language connotes it as kind of putting up with or toughing it out that kind of connotation but that's not really what it means at all in fact It's really about the quality of openness, acceptance, softness, that kind of forbearance. It's this quality of openness and acceptance, forbearance, that allows us to be with To approach or allow experience to approach and be with it moment by moment with a real openness with respect honoring the moment just as it is no matter what is going on no matter what we're facing within our own experience around us our body our mind, our heart. As we deepen in the heart of metta, the being in of metta, we're then less and less inclined to kind of get stuck or muck around or wallow in our difficult states, and they arise. They do arise, as we all know. We're less and less inclined to feel sorry for ourselves, to get caught in that place of pitying ourselves in the midst of difficult emotional states. And we also begin to notice that we're less inclined to judge ourselves, less inclined to judge others. We're also less inclined to kind of look for and hang on to what we think of as our weaknesses, our faults, less inclined to identify what we think of as our imperfections or other people's imperfections, identify them as that or identify ourselves as that. as we practice, and I know from individual meetings with you and the group meetings, I hear and I know from my own experience that we begin to see and uh, know all the aspects of ourself, including the difficult aspects or what we experience as difficult aspects of ourself, with more kindness, more spaciousness, a more patient presence. And so we begin to be with ourself more like we are, more often with a good friend. We're sometimes very, very hard on ourselves, harder on ourselves than we are on anybody else, and expect more or some kind of imagined perfection from ourselves. Whereas we might be quite patient with a close friend, especially if they're being honest and telling us what they're feeling. We'll listen. We'll be there. We'll be supportive. We can learn to do this with ourselves we must learn to do this with ourselves also there's this um (laughs) practice in the tibetan tradition uh, for people that are very um tight very contracted in relation to themselves it's a very practical practice the The practice is that you take something very ordinary in your life, something very practical, very um, simple. And the example when I was told about the practice was a potato. (laughs) You take a potato in one hand and you pass it to the other hand. And then you pass it back to the other hand. And you keep passing the potato back and forth to yourself. From one hand to the other hand, to the other hand, to the other hand, until it gets really easy. And then you go on from there, uh, offering yourself other things, and maybe even loving kindness. It sounds kind of uh, simplistic, but it's really done, and it really, can be really helpful. Very basic practice. No matter where we look in this universe, anywhere, we really won't find another person, another being, that's more deserving or less deserving of our love, of our care, than ourself. We are as deserving of our care, of our love, than any other being in this universe. so we learn to be with ourself seeing all the different manifestations of our emotions all the various manifestations experience in our body our heart coming and going and changing and seeing it being with it with a kindness with a peaceful in a peaceful relationship a kind of peaceful coexistence. Not passive, but peaceful. At ease, slowly growing at ease. As experiences like fear, sadness, jealousy, anger, doubt, clinging, attachment, arise and pass, arise and pass. as we practice metta, we begin to learn through the practice of metta not to create another layer of difficulty on top of what is already taking place by being averse to these states of mind. A number of years ago, I was here at IMS doing... um, sitting for a couple of months. I think it was with Upandita at that point. And a friend of mine was down the hall. I was at one room at one end of the hall, and she was at a room at the other end of the hall. I was going out for a walk one day, and I had to walk down to her end of the hall um, to get down the fire escape stairs and out back to do some walking practice. It was a period uh, in practice where I was feeling very, very lonely. And I wanted some attention. I wanted some recognition. I wanted someone to notice me and let me know they noticed me. (laughs) I wanted a note. There weren't any notes for me. It seemed like everyone was getting notes except me. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I walked by my friend's room and right in front of her door was this very beautiful bunch of fresh flowers. And I, this is a close friend, I became ragefully jealous. I hated her. I wanted those flowers. <laughs> <laughs> so with that going on inside, I walked downstairs to do some walking meditation. I didn't feel very well at all. And I decided <clears throat> that I would do metta practice. So I started doing metta practice for her. But it was kind of stomping metta practice. <laughs> May you be happy. May you be happy. <laughs> that kind of metta practice. Uh, and then after a couple of paths back and forth, I realized I needed to do metta practice for myself. So I started doing it for myself. At first it had, you know, quite a bit of uh, hard energy (laughs) in it. But slowly, slowly it softened and softened and softened. I probably spent, I don't remember, but somewhere around 45 minutes, I think, walking back and forth continuing with the metta, softening. I could feel just everything releasing, letting go. Uh, And I practice both with my friend, or for my friend, and with myself. After I worked with myself for quite a while, I wasn't in any shape at first to um, connect with anyone else with metta at that point. But slowly that was opening, and after a while I felt, okay, I'm going to go back upstairs. Just as I opened the door, the fire escape door to go in the hall, or down the hall to my room, she opened her um, room door, and she didn't see me standing there, but she did see the flowers. And her face burst into this beautiful smile. She was so happy to see the flowers. And I burst into tears. <laughs> but not in jealousy. I was uh, just delighted with her, her delight at the flowers. And I tears streaming down my face. I had a big smile on my face, and I felt quite the opposite of what I had felt. 45 minutes or so before. Um, it's a powerful practice, it's a very powerful practice. Can we be with what goes on in our mind, our heart, our body? not demanding that it not be there. Can we be with it without fighting, struggling, trying to get rid of it with that kind of energy? Actually, when we do fight and struggle with it, we perpetuate it. I think of it as Velcro practice. You can't get unstuck, you know. (laughs) Can we be with our moods, our difficult feelings, like we are with a close friend? Can we listen? Can we care? Wisdom arises, actually, when we begin to be able to accept all of the different beings, both within ourself and outside of ourself, rather than trying to manipulate things or ignore things or fight to change things. A really important aspect of understanding, of wisdom, is unconditional love. Unconditional love is wisdom, is deep understanding. Through this acceptance, sometimes called a, a kind of radical acceptance, and our commitment, our intention to change our mind through our practice, change our habitual mind through our practice. Understanding arises, wisdom arises, in a very natural way. Practicing metta. It's not about um pretending anything. It's not about trying to push anything under the rug or cover up or ignore anything. It's about changing our mind, making the choice to transform our heart, our mind, so that we live, we embody love, compassion, So that we are actually able to be present, and not run away. To be with things as they are, with a great deal of strength. To be in relationship with what is. It's actually our natural, inherent capacity. And it's boundless. It doesn't belong to anybody. There's not a limited amount of it. And it is the truth of ourselves. And it's not outside of ourselves. It's everywhere. And it's always available. It's also important to remember and to be honest with ourselves about what we're feeling at any given time and not pretend anything. So that we're not um, (coughs) acting out of some ideal, some imagined way that we think we're supposed to be. So that we are genuine and honest. And that's when the transformation can take place, the deeper, tran- deepest transformation. It's important to honor and know our limits. And they change. They constantly change. Sometimes if we, if we act out of an ideal place and not out of a true place, we have the thought that we are acting with an unconditional love or a true compassion but we may actually be acting in ways that create an unhealthy kind of dependency unhealthy kind of attachment in ourself and in relationship to others and in others. There's something that happens in this, it's like, it's like giving ourself away, losing ourself in unhealthy ways. I think in our, uh, the, the term codependency in our culture um, is really what that means. We support others, we offer to others, we give to others out of fear actually in that in that place. And it looks like uh, unconditional love. sometimes it f- we think that's what it is, but it's actually not that. It's uh, it's acting out of fear, out of fear of rejection, out of fear of not feeling good enough, whole enough, out of, um, not feeling fulfilled, not feeling complete, thinking that, and maybe not consciously, probably not consciously, that this, these actions will get us what we want, which is a sense of wholeness, a sense of completeness, a sense of being okay. And we've all done it. And what we find out is that um, in fact it creates suffering. And often very quickly. Because we don't uh, have or experience a sustained sense of wholeness, of completeness. It creates suffering within us and in relationship to the beings that we're acting with or acting for so it's really important to be honest and truthful with ourselves in terms of what we're feeling the mirror of relationship both our relationship with a partner, family relationships, relationships with friends, relationships in a retreat situation like this, work relationships, they're all wonderful mirrors for our practice, wonderful um, ground for practice. All of the irritations, all of the joys, annoyances, frustrations, likes, dislikes that are very apparent in relationships are perfect situations, perfect ground for our practice, daily life practice, and as we sit on the cushion when they uh, arise in terms of feelings, states, experience. In my life, my children... I have three grown children, but they have been probably, I think, my most powerful teachers in terms of um, unconditional love, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity. Not because they set out to be my teachers, but just simply because they're alive and living with them. The possibility of learning to be more sensitive, more open, allowing each being to be who they are, to be as they are, who they are, working out their own difficulties rather than trying to force changes with people, rather than living with expectation in relation to or pushing another person to be as we would like them to be, or think that they should be, We can offer guidance, we can offer our care, but we can't force anything. And we certainly can never know, for instance, with our children, we can never know how they will be when they grow up how they'll be when they mature, we can't control it. It's not in our control at all. And who, who at all would have ever imagined in our wildest dreams that our life would have unfolded as it has? We could never have imagined it. We don't control it. All of the strong energies are really part of our practice. They're yeast for our bread, in a sense. They're yeast for our liberation, yeast for our freedom. They're the ingredients for the development of unconditional love, compassion. being with the difficult parts of ourself, being with difficult people, with an open-heartedness, with a gentleness of heart, it's not a sign of weakness. It's actually our greatest strength. Living with the heart of loving-kindness, practicing metta, doesn't mean that we... Um, become a doormat sort of person and let people take advantage of us. With the strength of an open heart, with the strength of loving kindness, we're able to actually respond to irritation, to insult to rudeness to uncooperativeness from the place of loving kindness rather than react the difference between the ability to respond to be responsible rather than reacting and recreating watering the seeds so to say of the old habits of anger irritation back again kind of going back and forth with it. The ability to respond from the strength of a loving heart. One of the things in the instructions that we've mentioned is when we begin with any particular being, we bring someone to mind, we bring someone to heart, to look at or contemplate the good qualities of a particular person, a particular being. doesn't mean ignoring the difficult things, but bringing attention to the good qualities. And in that we begin to recognize that all of us, each one of us, are um, a mixture of things. We often have a tendency to focus on the difficult things. To make it whole and see that we're a mixed bag of qualities, all of us, each one of us. And also as we've mentioned in the instructions and Saidao mentioned this the other day also the understanding um, and maybe saying it in words silently to yourself just as I wish to be happy just as I wish to be peaceful may you also be happy be peaceful there's a kind of connection that happens when we do that a very natural sense of connection in our humanness together And in relation to that, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, forgiveness since that was um, one of the pieces of practice that we um, began with today and this morning. (coughs) Often in states of anger of irritation resentment it feels very solid those those states feel very very solid very uh, right kind of absolute and anger is a very very powerful very energetic very passionate energy as we come to know it and see it more clearly letting go of the self-centered contracted quality inherent in anger we then can see clearly often what is actually taking place in a particular situation that energy of anger is potential clarity. And it's spoken of as possibly transforming into a mirror-like wisdom. And forgiveness, for instance, is a very powerful change out of anger, out of resentment. We might be able to forgive where we've been very solidly unforgiving in the past as we open and see more and more clearly, more directly, and allowing this very natural, inevitable flow and change into emerging wisdom. And the practice in the metta practice of forgiveness is a very strong practice. We might not be able to forgive an action, some particular action. There are actions that feel quite unforgivable. But we might be able to forgive the actor. That's a possibility. For instance, forgiving the ignorance that stems from an unopened heart out of which actions that create suffering arise. A forgetful mind. Forgiving a forgetful mind. It might be ours, it might be another's forgetful mind. And then we might be able to continue or at least in some way care for or care about this person, or at least not blame this being, and begin to understand that it's the state of mind. It's actually the pain and the suffering, the unawareness. It's the closed heart, the ignorance, the delusion that the action actually comes out of. And as we open and begin to see ourself more and more clearly, with less judgment, we also see that we are still, to whatever degree, acting out of and have in the past, acted out of ignorance, acted out of forgetfulness, acted out of old, conditioned, habituated places of suffering ourselves many times. And so we change and we can forgive where we may have been very solidly forgiving. I'd like to give you three examples of ways that the forgiveness practice uh, that I've used uh, personally and the first one being um, one of my inspirations, actually. In monasteries, the forgiveness practice is used when people leave the monastery. They ask for forgiveness for any um, ways that they may um, consciously or unconsciously hurt anybody. They forgive people for ways that they have been hurt consciously or unconsciously and it's, it's, it's a form that's practiced um, and I'd heard about this so when I was um, the resident teacher here for a number of years I at one point decided that whenever um, people would leave staff we would do that I, would, I mean, if they didn't want to, that was okay, but I offered the possibility um, in close to our last meeting together, and I would meet, met very often individually with people, that we would do this forgiveness practice together, offering each other forgiveness and offering ourselves forgiveness. And it was really wonderful. We would just sat across from each other and said the phrases to each other. The third example is that I had a friend come here and visit me a couple of times when I was living here and she doesn't practice. We've been friends for over 30 years. We consider each other I think our closest friend to each other even though we don't see each other very often anymore. But there was a feeling of distance between us not because we hadn't seen each other but because of we weren't sure why. But we ag- acknowledged the distance and we didn't like it. We wanted to bridge that gap. So I suggested to her the forgiveness practice. She'd never heard of it, but she was open to it. So we sat and we did it with each other. We, we said the phrases to each other. But what we did was give each other permission after we um, said the phrases to actually talk about the things that... Um, we were talking about (laughs) the things that we were forgiving each other for that we'd never spoken about and it was amazing we had about a two or three hour conversation (laughs) and a lot of old old stuff uh, came up and moved through and we um, found ourselves really close again it's a really wonderful practice So practice is about taking care of ourselves. It's about truly taking care of ourself in the deepest way. In, and in this we open to all parts of our experience as human beings. Upandita said that this practice is about becoming a real human being. I think that's really true. Sometimes I think about practice not only as a purification process, but also as a process of maturation, really truly maturing. We mature into very sensitive open strong and vulnerable in a healthy way being very present with understanding and openness great strength in that yesterday um, in the staff dining room there were some a couple (coughs) that had a baby, old friends I hadn't seen for a while five month old baby and I was holding the baby for a while it was one of those babies that when you hold them they melt into you and only the hardest being wouldn't just melt right back into the baby (laughs) So we were melting into each other. <laughs> and I said, ah, oh, this is a meta baby. <laughs> and actually I thought everyone in this retreat should come and hold this baby. <laughs> that open heart, that baby was, it was um, pure love. It was the purest connection. And I felt so grateful for it and so inspired by it. Um. And in a sense, this maturation is about maturing into that, but a little bit different (laughs) because of the wisdom factor. (laughs) So I sometimes think of practice as maturing into a wise baby. (laughs) We become a wise baby. So in a sense, it's, it's both the end of innocence, or the end of innocence in the sense of ignorance, delusion, that kind of innocence, the end of that, and also the opening into innocence, again, in a sense. This is a poem that was um, written by a friend of mine. It was written in about five minutes. We were visiting a retreat center in New Mexico where there were a small group of people living who were having a lot of difficulty with each other that afternoon they had uh, a meeting planned to talk about the problems. And my friend John and I were sitting there talking about it. Nobody else was in the the kitchen at the time. And then we got up to leave and John jotted this down on a piece of paper and I looked at it and I said, can I have it? He said, sure. I mean I made a copy of it because it was for it was for the people living in the community. this is what he wrote what is love love is not an emotion neither can it be a feeling love is certainly not an it nor can it be bought or sold like water a universal solvent like honey sticks on everything like light dispels darkness like wind where from Where to? Like sand, ungraspable. Yet, without it there is death. Without it there is sickness. Without it there is struggle. Without it there is greed. Without it there is warring. So where is love? Everywhere, always, in front, above, behind, below. Then here is peace. Here is harmony, here is the golden mean, here is the crux of the wheel, here is the meaning of life, to love, to let go, let go is the backside of love, let's do it. Let's sit for just a moment. A few lines written by Raymond Carver just shortly before he died. And did you get what you wanted in this life? I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved. To call myself beloved in this life.